Welcome to the Heal Everything podcast with none other than Tama Aziz Serwa. You are not here by coincidence. This is a sacred space for the holy, ratchet woman who knows that she has the power to heal everything. I'm going to help you learn some new things, create a legacy of healing, elevate your mind. You do not want to miss an episode of this podcast. So make sure you subscribe and you share and you favorite us. And invite your sisters because we're about to have a powerful conversation. Tune in. Episode one, sacred sexuality where God and sin, quote unquote, mix. I know that so many of you have been waiting for episode one to air. Thank you for liking, sharing, subscribing, and being a part of this conversation. I want to give a shout out to my executive producer and the LTO family that has seeded in me the vision to even launch the podcast and has been supporting me and really getting it produced and out to you all. If you are unfamiliar with who I am, I will briefly introduce myself, um, but I humbly invite you to Google my name, Google Tema Aziz Serwa, Google the womb sauna. You will see the fruit of my labor and how I have been going throughout the world for years now teaching women how to heal everything, mind, body, spirit, and soul. We don't just steam the womb with herbs. We create an experience for women that leads them into a position to recognize where they are not living in their fullest potential, where they are being too complacent. And we literally, through the ancient indigenous expression of yoni steaming, the way that we do it, um, we teach women how to transform their lives. And so I am a best-selling author. I am a public speaker. I um, have been a full-time entrepreneur for almost a decade now. I was six when I actually launched my first business, and we can talk about that in some of the other episodes as well. Uh, But what I am really, really seeding in the marketplace right now is that pleasure is medicine. And I have created a program and a lot of conversations. Any of you who are in some of my exclusive communities, you are part of these conversations. So I've created these sacred virtual spaces where we can talk about what's often been classified as perversion, but in my opinion, to remove God from our sexuality is what makes room for perversion, right? So um, if you want to read my formal bio and learn about my education, my credentials, and all of that, I'm going to invite you to go to thewombsana.com. You'll see a tab there where you can read all of that and um, find out all of the media channels and all of that that I have been published in. So let's move forward into this conversation because it's important. Sacred sexuality. I first want to start off with saying that we need to reframe 
where we begin to identify who we are sexually. What I find in my work with people is that they start defining their sexuality from their first sexual act or encounter. And for those of you who that first act may have been traumatic, now suddenly everything you're experiencing in your life and your body that is related to your sexuality becomes colored through the lens of your trauma. I want to give you another perspective. Part of your human composition is what your bones, your skin, your organs, your spirit. Well, so is your sexuality. You didn't become a sexual being at the first act of sex. You were born and shaped in your mother's womb with your clitoris, with your whole body, your hormones and all of that. So let's start at the beginning and defining our sexual identities instead of the first experience. And why is that important? Because you are not what you've been through. You are greater than that. And so you don't have to let the tragedies of your life become how you identify yourself and define yourself. So sacred sexuality to me is being clear that number one, Everything, and this is my truth, and I live it, and I live it out loud. Everything that I do as a sensual and sexual woman, I consider to be my spiritual practice. It is who I am. I do not eliminate or exclude God. You can't tell me. I grew up in a Christian tradition. You can't tell me in one breath that God is everywhere all the time. And then tell me God is not in my bed. You can't tell me that God made this body and this clitoris, which is designed solely for pleasure, by the way. But then tell me that it is wrong for me to explore the very temple that I am. It's wrong for me to develop skills and what to do to experience pleasure If you have that context and you're listening to this episode right now, I literally want you to lift your hands, take a deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth, and give yourself permission to enjoy your body, especially before you give that body to anybody else to enjoy. There is a bridge where God and sin mix. I I recognize that reading my Bible. When I got the Song of Solomon and he said, let me enter her garden and taste this fruit, I said, hallelujah, this is in the Bible? Excuse me, Pastor, why are we preaching this part of the book a little louder, right? Um, But I wasn't always that way. When I was religious, I had a lot of guilt and shame that influenced my sexual identity and what I decided to explore. I had a lot of fear. I believe in the philosophy that there are only two paths in life, love or fear. And for the majority of my life, when it came to my sexuality, I experienced it through the lens of fear. 
And I want to give you the backdrop to my sexual development. And I, I speak about this in my masterclass on the power of pleasure that's coming up. I'll give you details about that. But I was born with precocious puberty. So when I came out of my mother's womb, I had small breasts, pubic hair, and an advanced endocrine system. My estrogen levels were high. They thought I would start my cycle by age five. And they wanted to put me on all of these different medications. I came up in this joint like Yoni is popping already off the break. Okay? But then I um, thank God that my mother did not take the doctor's advice and put me on all of these medications. She actually uh, followed her instincts and intuition, and I started my cycle at a, a, what's considered a normal age, 13. So growing up, I had an advanced body, right? I was more developed than a lot of my peers, and I was very in tune with my erogenous zones early. I remember my mom telling me when I was a toddler, I used to come and open my legs up over her head and say, Mommy, what is this button? I like pushing it. I was talking about my clitoris. Um, anytime I was concerned about something going on with my body, I had the kind of relationship with my mother where she would open her eyes in the morning and I'd be standing there saying, what is this? And I promise you, now being a mother of my daughter who's five, I'm getting back everything that I gave to my mother. Um, so I was exploring early. Right. And I remember in my young mind having difficulty trying to reconcile that I'm being told that my curiosity and my exploration of my body is wrong. And then but yet I have these natural primal instincts to get familiar with my body because to live outside of your body is to be absent from the Lord. Mm. Write that down. And this is the problem with dogma and indoctrination. To live outside of your body is to be absent from the Lord. I am an ordained interfaith minister. I'm very educated about a variety of ancient sacred texts. And what they all have in common is a teaching around where God is. And everything from the Bible and beyond, or should I say beyond and then into the Bible, teaches that you are a sacred vessel, a temple. I like to tell the women that I work with that you are a holy cauldron. Right, that you are absolutely, absolutely, you are the place where God likes to sit down and relax. And what does it say about our awareness of who we are when we spend the majority of our time outside of our bodies? Physically, we're there, but mentally and emotionally. I find a lot of people are having challenges truly being present in their bodies. You don't realize your back is hurting until your back goes out. You don't realize that your blood pressure and your heart and your circulatory system is compromised until crisis. Why does it always take crisis 
for us to wake up. So this is why, this is part of the reason that my sexuality is my spiritual practice because um, sex puts me right back in my body. Like, literally, you have to have your body being active and engaged in order to experience sexual pleasure. And so if I'm too stressed at work or if I'm too occupied in my mind and I'm all in my head and I need to get back in my body, I'll get on a a tall, chocolate, succulent, divine, powerful man and let him use his lingam or penis power to redirect my energy into the intention that I'm setting in the experience. I'm talking about sacred sexuality. So here I was in my youth. Um, feeling guilty about my natural primal instincts to try to get familiar with all of the parts of my body. Nobody was judging me for exploring my toes. Nobody was condemning me because I wanted to understand my nose. But let me touch my breasts or my clitoris and it's a problem. The question is, who was it a problem for? And where did they get that ideology? And as we all know, Culturally, we are dealing with the fruit of patriarchy, misogyny, and the suppression of women's power because in the ancient world, there was a time when there was the matriarchal order where being a woman and being wild and free was the glory of God, not a sin. The temples were intact. They were not burnt down. The witches were not um, assassinated for being the keepers of wisdom and the vessel of harmony between the magic of our humanity, our divinity and the earth. It was okay then. But when patriarchy and you know, human beings have this bad habit of wanting to control and oppress each other, when that began, so did the attack on the purity and power of sexuality and sensuality, especially for women. And the first religion in the world was the worship of women because she could bleed and not die. Like our bodies are fascinating. And we have to stop allowing them to be more fascinating to the culture and to the people who want to have access to our bodies and be just as fascinated with our bodies ourselves. So back to my experience with my sexual development, I had that religious programming, that dogmatic teaching that was running in the backdrop and then combine that with sexual trauma. Most of my molestation was peer molestation. Um, I had people that I grew up with who tried to rape me and and different things that I've experienced. And so now combine the pain and the shame and the guilt. With peer molestation, you know, there's this interesting dynamic of I trust you because you're my friend. So when you tell me not to say nothing, when I feel like my social circle is at stake, um, and I actually have physiological reactions to what you're introducing me to, you know, it gets complicated. And I have invested years, years of therapy and energy work and body work and intentional healing around my sexual traumas. And you know what the best medicine was? The best medicine was actually sex. I know it sounds crazy. A lot of women I work with feel like that's the the last thing they need to do or want to do. 
but I found God in my flesh. My ability to learn how to become efficient with returning energy back to its source that does not belong in my body, my mind, or my spirit, my womb, came through my sexual encounters. And in the spaces that I reside in, people are always talking about the power of the goddess in the womb, and that's true. We are very powerful as women, but don't negate the power of the brothers and the divine masculine. I have um, sat with incredible men who have made love to me in ways that moved the energy of my violators out of my body. That's how potent and powerful and good and yummy and mm, these sexual experiences have been for me and continue to be. But there can be no healing without the decision to heal. And the hardest part of the process is releasing your pain addictions, your addiction to the trauma narrative. See, the trauma brain will lie to you. It's very deceptive. It will have you see things in a way that aren't really as they are. And if you can change the story, you can change your life. When I say change the story, that doesn't mean the facts of what you've experienced aren't valid. It just means you you change the impact, the definition of the impact. So instead of it being this is what happened to me, it becomes this is what happened for me. So trauma could not hold me back from the orgasms I experienced. I, I was going to find my way, and I did. So as I began to grow up, I started willingly having sex at 14. God help my child. I hope she ain't nothing like her mother. I used to lie to my mother and say I was going to the Bible club after school, and I was walking to my little boyfriend's house after school. But he was incredible. I'm so happy that he was my first lovemaking experience. Um, he was double-jointed everywhere. Hey, I know some of you want to shout right there off of that. Yes, God, he was double-jointed everywhere. Neck, shoulders, legs. Mm, I remember that. He was chocolate. He was African. Y'all know I like that if you're in my exclusive communities. And I'll tell you more information about that. You know I love that. And I remember he was nurturing. I remember he was set up the video camera. I could never run for president, y'all. Um, and record me. And I remember the insecurities I had. I didn't want to open my legs. I didn't want him to see my body. And he would gently say affirmations and tell me how beautiful and powerful I was. And it was not a part of my body that he did not make love to. Not a single part. It was not a single part of my body that he did not make love to. And he would light the candle. So my first sexual experience was not painful um, or traumatic. It set the tone. I was not going to be having sex in bathrooms and in corners on the floor when my first lover set the tone. Candles, love music playing, video cameras set up. I'm going to suck you, lick you, stick you, twist you, stretch you. Let's move to the shower. I was doing that at 14. He awakened me. He helped me remember who I am. This is not the first life that my sexual shrine and temple has been open. 
I I am a healer in the bed. And I run into other healers and we do our magic. And so um I remember once my confidence activated through being with him. My friend and I, we went to the Kmart and we uh, stole lingerie. Judge yourself. So <laughs> we're in the dressing room putting the lingerie underneath our clothes. And I had got a big bottle of Hershey's chocolate syrup. And I said, I'm going to go to his locker because I had this locker combination. And I'm going to put this surprise in there. So when he gets to school and he opens his locker, he's going to see. I'm going to get it popping. And my friend was cheering me on like, yes, girl, do it. What I could not have planned for was that bottle of chocolate syrup exploding in his locker and covering everything. And the janitor and all of my peers coming to see what happened as this chocolate is oozing out of the locker. And they're picking up my negligee. And he's looking, and the janitor is looking at us like, really? Y'all are 14? But that was how I was making love at 14. And that relationship was short, but it was intense. We had believed that we were going to get married and everything. We, we were bonding very deeply to be 14. We were thinking about things that we really should have postponed. Um, so when the transition came and I began to realize that, oh, I'm not going to be with him forever, we went into deep grief. We were sitting up in the guidance counselor's office like an old married couple. The whole school was like, what? Y'all are breaking up? All of that was happening. And I realized that I needed to be very intentional about my sexual power and my experiences because they are not casual encounters. And so I made the decision to be celibate. For how long? Five years. See, the religious program helped me um, with some of my sexual discipline. I am wild, I am free, I am holy, and I am ratchet. But I am not spiritually irresponsible. And I do not have casual sex. I have intentional sex. And because of what I've been able to cultivate within myself, I can love somebody for five minutes. Or for an eternity, I am able to share all of the layers of me from my intellect to my emotions, to my spiritual power, to my body without attachment. I am not a woman out here saying you got to perform for my love because what is very clear for me is I ain't performing for nobody's love. Love is a decision. And I'm not on a quest looking for love because I am love. So anywhere that I am, love is in the room. My emotional, spiritual IQ is high. And that has a direct impact on my sexual and sensual expression. So I took five years and my religious programming was running in the backdrop that I was a fornicator and I needed to repent, even though there's no scripture in the Bible that talks about fornication. Um, this was just the context that helped me kind of get more disciplined 
with how I chose to express that. Um, but it was still toxic because it was rooted in fear. So I remember looking at old journals where I was always begging God for forgiveness for masturbating, or I was always, you know, with my fiance because I did get engaged while I was in college. And I remember we thought we were remaining pure because we would like masturbate each other. Like he would finger me or I would suck him off, but we, you didn't put your dick in me. So we're not having full on sex. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, the amount of years I denied myself pleasure because I thought that the God who made my clitoris didn't want me to have it. It's, it's ridiculous ideology. And so once I got married to my first husband, I thought I was free because now I can have as much sex as I want to. But your value system is really what determines your level of freedom, what you believe is available to you, what you believe is quote unquote right or wrong. Um, so suddenly we were leaning into the scripture that says you can't defile the, the bed, right? But then when I found out that he was um, chatting it up inappropriately with other women on social media, I felt defiled. I thought we couldn't defile this bed. So nobody, the, the point is nobody really taught me how to develop sexually in a healthy way. And what I was taught was rooted in dogma and indoctrination. And so it made me feel inadequate. It made me feel dirty. And I got lost in that for a while. Got through that divorce and completed that marriage. Um, went into an off-the-books marriage. You know, um, it was a covenant relationship, but there were no assets to exchange, so I wasn't doing that again. And stayed in that for seven years. First marriage was six years, seven years. Started exploring even more. That's when I really started breaking out. I remember um, in that relationship, that was the first relationship where I did not hold any guilt or shame around porn um, and incorporating that in our pleasure practices and our intimacy or talking about things, you know, or showing. Like, I remember my first marriage, I used to have shame and guilt about masturbating. I didn't want him to see me masturbate or know that I was masturbating. It was ridiculous. Um, he taught me my fetishes, which were incredible. Um, but I still wasn't free. By the time I got to the second marriage, the off-the-books marriage, I definitely wasn't afraid to masturbate in front of him, wasn't afraid to incorporate new things. He had a whole chest of toys and Adam and Eve membership subscription. Like, we were having a good time being curious. But I still wasn't fulfilled. I hadn't really cracked the code yet on how to access certain orgasms. I didn't even know certain orgasms were available to me. Um, and so when I ended that marriage and I started running wild and free and I made a covenant with myself that I would not pretend that God was not a part of pleasure, that I would believe in the omnipresence of God. And I also made a plan to become fearless and allow my body 
to hold that vibration of courage as I began to interact with other lovers. And let me tell you, it has been incredible seeing the bridge between where God and quote unquote sin mix some of the most sinful things that I thought I would never do that I have done have now become some of the most sacred and holiest encounters I have ever experienced in my life. So here's what I'm offering you. I want you to sit with how did I develop sexually? And if the template I'm running in my life, the criteria that I've created for what I will or won't do sexually and sensually is really working for me. Is it really lighting my soul up? Is it really expanding my capacity to manifest the things that I want in my life? Or is it holding me back? Is it rooted in fear? Answer the question. And we have a sacred group on Facebook called Let the Womb Be Heard. Join the group. Send a request. I will approve it or a member of my team will approve your request because that's where I want to unpack some of this that we're going to be talking about on our podcast. I want to unpack that with you in our Facebook group. If you're not on Facebook, I love you. You're welcome to leave messages on the podcast to get some engagement, but um, there's power in being visible and vulnerable, especially in sacred spaces amongst other women. So I do I'm charged women with doing that. But I have thoroughly enjoyed activating another level of awareness in you around sexuality and how you can make it sacred. Make sure you stay connected. Make sure you um, look at the details for our upcoming Power of Pleasure Masterclass where I literally will hand walk you through how to activate the power of pleasure as a way of life, um, how to heal anything that is robbing you of your sexual and sensual power. And you will be in process with me for six weeks. And so um, you will see the link provided. I love you. I can't wait to meet you in episode two.